Well, hello to everyone at the Earlham Church of Christ and hello to everyone at Countryside Christian Church and anyone else who might be watching this some way on the World Wide Web. I'm just glad that you are tuned in. Hey, listen, today I'm going to talk about something that uh, is taking place all around the world. The entire world is focused in on this event. Uh, in fact, uh, there's kind of an epicenter. There's a city at the epicenter of this event. There are people all around the world uh, that are focused in on this event. Uh, some people uh, were uh, sheltered in place. Uh, other people were practicing social distancing. And uh, this event uh, is uh, just sweeping across the entire uh, world today. And uh you know, there were people that uh, sort of asking questions about uh, this entire thing. People asking questions like, uh, what are the implications? Uh, when is it going to end? Is there anything that we should be uh, doing? People are asking that. And my, my question is for people of faith, uh, for followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, is there implications for us, church family? Are there implications, uh, are there questions that we need to be asking? Questions like, uh, what should our actions steps be as a result of this conversation that is taking place all around the world today? Here's what I want you to know. You can read about the events that uh, people are focused in on all around the world today. Uh, you can read about these events in uh, the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Perhaps you think that I'm actually talking about uh, today, uh, April 5th, 2020, that uh, people are focused in on the coronavirus, on COVID-19. But I'm focused in on what millions and millions of other people in the world are focused in on today. Today is, in fact, Palm Sunday. Today we're going to look at the events of Palm Sunday and we're going to uh, see uh, what a simple event it is. Here's the reality of it is that uh, Jesus is hiding out. He is sheltering in place. Uh, and then he decides, uh, because the Father is prompting him, he is now going to enter into the last week of his earthly ministry here on this earth. It's Palm Sunday. Uh, we know that next week is Easter and that he's going to make a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We're going to look at that. We're going to unpack that. And we're going to talk about that. But here's what I want you to know. Uh, hopefully you already have a, uh, a reading list that I had prepared for this message. Maybe you've been able to sort of read through the events of Palm Sunday that uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're the authors of those four Gospels. They're the guys that sort of record uh, a day in the life of Jesus and his ministry from his birth uh, to his death and even to his ascension into heaven. But as those four authors are writing, uh, not all four of them tell all of the same stories about the life of Jesus. But in the case of Palm Sunday, all four of those authors record the events of Palm Sunday. I'm going to ask that you will bow your head and that you will, you will pray with me and that uh, we'll then sort of unpack the events around Palm Sunday. Uh, Father, <clears throat> I come to you. And I ask that you will please help us to learn what we need to learn. To know that you care about us and that you will help us to commit to you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. To better understand the events of Palm Sunday, we do well to understand the backstory to Palm Sunday. 
The backstory of Palm Sunday, uh, we can read about it in the book of John, chapter 11, the entire chapter. And in the book of John, chapter 11, uh, we see that uh, Jesus has a good friend, and his name is Lazarus. And Lazarus has a couple of sisters, Mary and Martha. And uh, apparently, Lazarus is very, very sick. Because while Jesus was away from Beth, Bethany is where Lazarus lived. And while Jesus was away from uh, Bethany, uh, he receives word. Some people, some friends of Lazarus uh, and his sisters uh, come up to Jesus. And uh, Jesus is just doing what Jesus does. He's healing people. He's ministering to people. He's making the, uh, the blind to see and the lame to walk and the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And he's telling people that there is a kingdom that is beyond this earth. And it's the kingdom of his father. And that he was, in fact, sent by his father to communicate about that kingdom. And that it is true that he is, in fact, the Messiah that the Jews had been anticipating to come for thousands of years. Well, Jesus is out doing the work with his disciples that he does. When he receives word from friends of Lazarus that Lazarus is very sick and that they were prompting Jesus. They were saying, will you please come and visit Lazarus? If you come, we know that you can heal him. You can make him well. Well, <clears throat> Jesus is fully aware of the circumstances and he does not go and heal Lazarus. In fact, he stays where he is and he waits for a while until, in fact, Lazarus dies. Now we see Lazarus, we see Jesus go to where Lazarus was entombed. They had prepared his body. They put it in a grave. And then Mary and Martha, his sisters, approach him. And this is where we learn that Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus cry? His good friend had passed away. And his family and the scriptures tell us that many people came to be a part of the funeral service and, the, and, the, and, the, and, and remembering Lazarus. And they were very sad. Jesus knew what he was about to do, but he also looked at the people that were there and had compassion on them. And he cried with them because they were sad. But then as the story unfolds, we see that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus says, come out of the grave, and Lazarus literally gets up and walks out of the grave. In fact, Scripture says he didn't even smell like a grave after he came out of it. Well, naturally, everyone that is around is just awestruck. They can't, Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead. And now people start to talk about this and, and the story begins to get out and people begin to learn. Now listen, maybe, maybe you're listening today and maybe this whole listening to church and, and sort of uh, tuning into something online, that's all new for you. And, and maybe this idea that Jesus raised somebody from the dead is, it just seems like a far-fetched story. I, I just want to say to you, if Jesus is the Son of God, wouldn't he be able to do that? Wouldn't he be able to do that if he's the Son of God? I believe he's the Son of God and that he has all of the power in heaven and earth and that he can uh, do that. And so I'm just going to ask you to come with me on this journey and just kind of watch as this historical event that millions of people all over the world are talking about today. Because word gets out that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are chatting about this event. 
Some of the people that witnessed the event and some of the people that were there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they put their faith in Jesus. Meanwhile, there were other people that learned of this event and it was sort of threatening to them. They knew that somebody with this much power might be a threat to their power. There were some people that wanted to pull alongside Jesus and sort of ride his power wave with him. There were other people that wanted to squash Jesus' power because it was threatening their power. We read all of this in the book of John, in chapter 11. This is the backstory to Jesus making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. In fact, we read about it in the book of John, chapter 11. We've made our way all the way down to verse 45, and it says this. It says, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, Lazarus' sister, who was mourning the loss of her brother, they came to visit, they were coming to be a part of the service, and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in Jesus. They, he raised this guy from the dead. This is the son of God. This has got to be the Messiah. However, verse 46 but some of them went to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and told them what Jesus had done. And then you go down a few verses later, John chapter 11, verse 53, and it says, So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. And then the very next verse, John chapter 11, verse 54. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly amongst the Jews. Jesus sheltered in place. <laughs> Jesus withdrew from everybody else. Jesus withdrew and he let the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead begin to just percolate from community to community to community. And people were learning all over the place, this is the son of God. Well, we're going to leave John chapter 11, and then we're going to step into the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus, and we're going to jump to John chapter 12 and verse 1, and it says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethany where Lazarus lived, who Jesus raised from the dead. So here's the story. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. People are talking about it. Jesus learns that the Jews want to kill him. And so he withdrew. He let this story percolate. And now it is time for Jesus to enter into the last week of his earthly ministry. And he is going to set things into motion. And here's how he's going to do that. We're going to leave the book of John, chapter 11 and chapter 12. We're going to go over to the book of Matthew, chapter 21, and look at verses 1 through 11 as we unpack the day of Palm Sunday. Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to start with verses 1 and 2. They say this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olive, Jesus sent two disciples. If your Bible is open, underline uh, the, uh, the number two there, the word two, T-W-O, underline that. And just kind of, we'll come back to that in a minute. Saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. 
untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him the Lord needs them. Just kind of underline that the Lord needs them and he will send them uh, right away. And so Jesus is getting ready to make his triumphal entry. He's going to go from Bethphage into Bethany. It's about a, a two-mile donkey ride that he is going to make down into uh, Jerusalem. And the first thing he does is he goes up uh, to, uh, to his disciples. He says, I want two of you guys to run a mission for me. Uh, we know that earlier when Jesus was spending time with his disciples and he goes to them and he says, now I want you to go out and tell people about the kingdom that is to come. He sends them out two by two. Here's the thing. Together is better. And Jesus knows it. Bonded together is absolutely better. Two are better than one. It, it makes a stronger cord where two or three are gathered, the Bible says, that Jesus is there uh, with us. Uh, teamwork helps in many ways. Teamwork helps in family, in business, in athletics. And uh, teamwork, teamwork helps in prayer. Teamwork helps in encouragement. Uh, maybe you're feeling alone right now and you want to know if I'm a part of a team. If you have a church family, reach out to them. Call them text them, send them an email, and say, uh, maybe we can, uh, we can go on a, a walk together where we sort of keep our distance, but go into a park. Teamwork. Jesus says, you, you don't have to do life alone. And Jesus sends these two uh, to get uh, those animals that are going to uh, be a part of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And he also communicates to them, if the guy says anything to you, if he says, uh, you know, what do you need these for? You tell him the Lord needs him. Here's, here's the reality. The Lord needs them. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. There isn't any living thing on this planet that God did not create. We are not an accident. We did not evolve out of nothingness. There was never a big bang that there was nothing and then all of a sudden life began. And no, God is the creator of every living thing on this planet. And God says, I have a purpose for every living thing on this planet. And the purpose of the beauty of the, the plants and the animals is that we would look at them and we would say, what a fantastic creator we have. Look at the, the marvelous things that he has made. Our purpose is that we might know God. Everything that is created is designed. The Lord needs them. They are for his purpose. Well, the story continues in the book of Matthew. And we make our way down uh, to verse 4. And here's what's going on in verse 4. So we've just read that Jesus approaches his disciples, says, hey, go get those animals. I'm going to need them. I'm going to be riding into Jerusalem a little bit. And then as Matthew is writing this out, in hindsight, he realizes, being prompted by the Holy Spirit, man, the things that are taking place right now, these things were predicted to happen in the Old Testament. A thousand years ago, people were saying, this is the way these events are going to unfold. And here's what Matthew writes in verse 4. He says, this took place to fulfill what the what was spoken through the prophets. Verse 5, say to the daughter of Zion, see your, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt and a foal of a donkey. And so Matthew points out that these things had already been predicted that they would come. 
And when Matthew writes those things down, he's actually quoting uh, prophecies that were written about these events uh, many years earlier in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. It says, uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt of a foal of a donkey. And then in the book of Isaiah, chapter 62, verse 11, it says, The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your Savior comes. These were predictions that were made about how Jesus would make this triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. Matthew continues, after he points out these things were predicted and Jesus says, hey guys, go as two because two is better than one. You don't have to do it alone. And all these things were created by God and for God and through God and that we need to be obedient to God. And then he says this in the very next verse in Matthew chapter 11, verse or 21, verse 6. He says, the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. Jesus said, go get those animals. The disciples did what Jesus said. That's always good advice. That's always good advice. If Jesus says do it, it's always good to go and to do it. Chapter Verse 7, he says, They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. Uh, that's significant because in the Old Testament, in the book of Second Kings, chapter 9, verse 13, uh, we see that there was going to be an installment of a king a placement of a king, and that uh, to acknowledge that this one that was going to be uh, the new king, uh, those guys took off their cloaks and they put them on this donkey and the guy gets up and sits on it and they declare, this is our new king. It's totally symbolic. It's intentional. It's purposeful. They were declaring, Jesus is our king. He is the Messiah. He is the one that has been prophesied from year after year after year. He is going to be the savior of the world. All this was planned and done. And Jesus begins to ride that donkey into Jerusalem. And these things are set in place. Verse 8. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Same symbolism. It says uh, the others cut branches. In the, in the book of John, chapter 12, verse 13, we learn that they were cutting palm branches, Palm Sunday, uh, from the trees and spread them on the road. Again, symbolism, acknowledgement. Jesus is now, he's left uh, Bethphage, he's going through Be uh, Bethany, and, and there's this two-mile road that winds down off of the Mount of Olives and makes its way into the temple uh, platform where uh, the temple was built by Solomon many, many uh, years earlier. It had since been destroyed and, and rebuilt, and they're making the, uh, Jesus is making his way into the epicenter of the, the holy city here. And so here we go into verse 9. Jesus has made his way down there. Verse 9 says, The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna! The word means praise. Praise to the Son of David. It says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. People were declaring that Jesus is the Son of God. In the book of Psalms, chapter 118, verses 25 and 26, it was recorded that this would be what they would say. And so here are these crowds and crowds and crowds of people crushing in around Jesus as he's on this donkey, on a cloak, and kind of just plop, 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 making his way down towards <clears throat> Jerusalem. And the crowds <clears throat> are elated to see him. Verse 10. 
when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city stirred and asked. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the entire city was having this conversation about, who is this guy? And they asked, who is this? Verse 11, the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. This is our guy. This is the one that we anticipated coming. This is a guy that could heal Lazarus. He has conquered life and death. This is our guy. Now, what's interesting about this is that uh, later on in the week, this very crowd would be the same crowd that would be yelling, crucify him. But I cannot even begin to imagine what it would have been like to be caught up in that frenzy of people, in that stir. And would they, in fact, have been asking questions like, what does this mean? What is the outcome? Where is this whole thing going? I think this is a great question for those of us that have faith in Jesus, those of us that are Christians and followers of Christ. What are the implications of Jesus's triumphal entry when he went public and everybody knew that he was the Messiah making their way, making his way into town. I think we should ask, what are the implications? What are the action steps? Here's what I can tell you. There were many people that had made their way around Jesus and they were processing all of this information. And some of the crowd uh, had expectations that when Jesus arrived, they were going to get something out of it. There was something in it for them. If I can uh, sort of attach myself to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the party that is in power, then somehow I have elevated my status. And there were people that were thinking that way about Jesus. They were anticipating that Jesus might bring them prosperity or power or recognition or that he would be uh, sort of give them some kind of authority or some kind of uh, respect, or maybe even Jesus would bring revenge on people that were against him and them, the disciples. You know, there were people that were hoping that when Jesus would arrive, that he would, in fact, be a healer, a justice maker, a peace deliverer. There were people that were sort of sizing up the events and maybe even a little bit of quiet self-talk in the noise of the day, thinking to themselves, what do I get out of this? That's a question maybe we should all ask ourselves. Jesus shows up as the Messiah. People are following him. What do you get out of that? What do you get out of that? I know what I get out of that. I get a risen Savior. I get a king and a Lord. And that means that I need to do what the other half of the crowd might have been doing. There was a crowd that maybe they were speculating, what do I get out of? But there was also a crowd that had removed their cloaks and they laid them on the ground. They cut palm branches and they were waving them and they were acknowledging who Jesus is. And maybe there's another question. What is in my life that I should be laying down for Jesus? Is there a sense of pride that I have? Is there a, a sense of fear? Is there a sense of self-righteousness? 
Is there anxiety? Is there a sense of questioning inside of you that you say, I don't know that I can believe all of this. I don't think that Jesus was a guy that could actually raise someone from the dead or that he, in fact, himself raised from the dead. Is there a sense of questioning that you had that you would do well to just kind of lay down and maybe even say a prayer? God, if you're really out there and your son is really the real deal, I'm seeking you. I'm interested in you. And can you reveal yourself to me? Show me who you are and maybe even use things like these internet messages to, uh, to communicate more about who you are that I might know you. Maybe you need to take a step, something like that. Here's what I know. Today in the world, the whole world is abuzz with coronavirus. And there seems to be an epicenter in that and the whole world is focused in on that. And maybe you feel isolated and you feel alone. But I can tell you this, Jesus doesn't want you to feel alone. He doesn't want you to feel alone. He wants you to know that all of these things and all of these events, everything in the world that takes place, God can use to advance his kingdom. Maybe this is a time that uh, you're at home and uh, you need to pick up the phone and make some phone calls and reach out to some people. Maybe this is a time that you're questioning faith like you've never questioned faith before. And here's what I can tell you. To my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ that are Christians, it is time for us to make action and to step up and to be the best, most loving communicators of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can be. But if you're at home and you're watching this and you're not quite sure who Jesus is, I want you to know something. Jesus is okay with you asking him. He's okay with you questioning him. But what I want you to know is that Jesus wants you to open up your heart and to ask him to come in by his Holy Spirit into your life. He wants to forgive you of all of your sins and make you right before the Father God. He wants to communicate to you that he loves you and that he is preparing a place for you in heaven and that he desires for you to be there with him. He wants you to know more love and more forgiveness and more acceptance. He wants you to know who he is. He is the Messiah that rode into Jerusalem. He was the king of kings then. He is the king of kings now and he loves you and he wants to know you. I hope that you find this encouraging today. Celebrate Palm Sunday, and may you have a great rest of the day. Spend some time in prayer. Read through those passages of Scripture. Have a great day.